On today's final episode of Culture Change Through Lean for Local Government, we are very fortunate to be able to speak to Callie Woodward. Callie brings a unique balance of public and private sector experience to the table and is the Senior Transformation Consultant for the Leading Edge Group. She's here to speak about some of the similarities and differences between the public and private sectors, how they employ lean processes, and some of the common challenges experienced in local government. She'll also share her top three tips for success on your lean journey. Callie, thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe you could start by telling our audience a little bit about yourself, your own continuous improvement journey, and your current role working with the Leading Edge Group. Sure, yes, thank you. So I've been uh, practicing continuous improvement for just over 25 years now. And I have worked in a variety of public and uh, private organizations, primarily though on administrative workflow or what we would call a thought or information workflow, which is a little bit different than, than the traditional. I have done work with frontline operations, but again, very much in the service industry. So I had some need, need exposure to a lot of different uh, fields and experts uh, within the fields. I've been with Leading Edge since 2015. Prior to Leading Edge, I did a lot of work in the private sector, which has its own uh, different challenges. And um, since working with Leading Edge, I've had the opportunity to uh, consult as a senior transformation consultant with a lot of public organizations as well as private. And so in, in my practice with Leading Edge, very much focused on building the capability through uh, lean education programs, and also sustaining lean and lean culture within organizations by helping them customize and establish their own frameworks to how they want to deploy and link lean within their own operations and strategies. Fantastic. So it's really about building that foundation for the future within the organizations. Yeah. So having previously worked in large corporations, would you be able to highlight some of the differences between applying lean in a public versus in a private sector organization? Yeah, certainly. I find it very interesting that when I'm in um, public organizations, they are always asking me how it's different than than private. And there's a lot of assumptions um, of, of how it's different. You know, I'll, I'll often be challenged, you know, with a, a question saying, well, private organizations don't have to deal with counsel. And they don't have to deal with counselors having different in information or they don't have to deal with the politics. And I'll say, I actually, ironically, they do. What, what challenges a public organization would have with counsel or, or um, you know, steering groups would be no different than what private organizations have with board of directors and shareholders and, um, and other you know, third party organizations. Um, very similar challenges, different individuals. But very, and politics for sure. There are still people who have their own agendas. They're a, a different philosophy and how they might want to execute the business plan. Very similar to how you see in private, people want to execute a different plan for the community. So I, I see more similarities than I see differences for, for sure when it comes to that. Another uh, question I just got last week, actually, was with a um, the public organization, and their question was about private organizations. So the, the, the public group I was working with said, you know, we don't have um, customers that volunteer to come to us. Uh, our customers have no choice. They're, they're a regulator. They're like, well, they have to. So in the private industry, we used to use the terminology calling like you have a captive audience. That's what basically is happening in, in the public sector. They're saying, well, we already have our customers that they are kind of told because of their address or where their fees are. They're told that they have to be our customer. 
does that face different challenges and we don't have to attract customers and how do we figure out what they need and, and, you know, and service them. And, you know, my response to that is always, it's still a service industry. You're still providing a service. You still want to show good value for dollars. So whether you're funded with public money or you have customers that are paying you at a cash register, you still need to illustrate good value for dollar and that that you're servicing them. And although you may not, you may think you don't have the challenge of attracting customers the way a private organization does, you actually do. When I've been working with a lot of senior people and the public organizations, and, and even if we talk the municipal sector, a lot of them are being challenged with, how do I attract new industry to come here? How do I attract new residents who want to live here? And so I said, you may not have as much volunteering customers as you think, but you actually do. People make a conscious choice to live or work or build within your community. And so you do want to entice that interest. And a lot of public organizations now are being faced with tight budgets. And so they want industry to come. And so a lot of work is then focused to um, work on, you know, development planning processes and uh, communications processes and public community services to attract that, that kind of attention. So I kind of have to myth bust them through that to help them realize that they actually do have a lot of volunteering customer base. It's just once they have them, they, they're not going to walk away in a day. They've kind of locked in because they've they've usually bought into some kind of real estate. So they're there for a while, right? It's interesting, isn't it? How many similarities there are when you drill down into it, actually. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, you know, municipalities are so customer focused by their nature. They've already got such a good handle on that essence of lean, which is looking to the service that the customer is receiving. They are, they are like the passion for who their customer is. Like it's so strong. I mean, that's why people went into that industry and they want to do good. And, you know, and it's very, yeah, like that is never a problem. Nobody's ever said, well, it's good enough in, in the, um, in the public sector, people I've worked with. I've had some people in the private sector go, well, we're good enough. I mean, we, we're the top two in the industry, you know? And uh, yeah, but I have never seen that in um, public sector. From a, a business point of view, 2020 has been incredibly challenging, particularly relating to COVID-19, of course. How have your clients utilized lean or, or continuous improvement to respond to the challenges that COVID-19 created for them? Actually, it's been um, it's been a really interesting year um, for that and, um, and delightful in, in a lot of ways that the organizations that did start their lean journeys were actually really well equipped to, to deal with COVID. Everybody experienced stresses due to COVID. And in any lean, or I should just say in any system, wherever your weaknesses are, and weaknesses are opportunities, but wherever they are, those cracks, they'll be even more exposed or magnified in times of stress. And so what happened with COVID, putting this much stress on these organizations and systems really exposed issues that were always there, but that really were cracking under the pressure. And so what was um, interesting is the organizations that had been practicing lean, this lean thinking really enabled them to adapt quickly. I, I really noticed um, folks leveraging the whole um, root cause problem solving tools, using the PDCA problem solving framework to test and experiment and learn and adjust 
and get a new hypothesis and let's test it again. So um, in the past where we would have been more careful about doing experimentations, pressure, the risk of not experimenting was worse. So we saw a lot more uh, people grab into what we call these, um, these just do it's. But don't, I always say, but you're not throwing spaghetti at the wall. There was thought behind the root cause and doing that. The organizations that had that foundation of that lean learning were really quick to be able to do that. Everybody kind of had white belt, yellow belt training. And so they were really quickly, they just naturally, this is how they just problem solved. And they said that just started happening in meetings and they were grabbing fishbone diagrams and doing five whys and making decisions. And they, they saw it really being applied outside of a, a, not a scripted lean project, you know, it became um, a very much part of their operation of how they were working. Another benefit was um, teams that had done some previously in projects together, especially those cross-functional projects. So where maybe silos had been in the past and the team worked through a larger lean improvement and broke down some silos and set up some new procedures, when COVID hit, they knew who to call in the other departments because they had worked together before. And although they may not have known exactly how everything connects, they all kind of knew somebody cross-functionally to start to network with. And that became um, especially important when everybody started working remote and you couldn't just walk down the hall and ask a coworker. You had to really figure out how am I going to find this information out. And so there was that agileness in this um, kind of organic setting of reaching out and getting informed. And because they had done similar types of practices, meets and greets um, and chats through their lean projects, those perceived barriers of the past weren't there. And so they were more accessible to each other. And the third piece on there is that because they had, when we do lean work or lean, a lot of lean projects, we end up stabilizing the, the improved way of working, which means we end up with new do process documentation. We end up with written work procedures, standard work, those types of things. And in lean, we're, you know, um, sometimes as lean practitioners, when I'm teaching these, some people will challenge me to say, well, doesn't that stifle creativity that you document everything, it locks it down. Now, now you're not agile. And we're like, I know it seems counterintuitive, but it actually does make you agile. We're always saying that you create this platform to stabilize your improvement. It becomes your springboard for continuous improvement. And that was proven full in COVID. Every green belt I had coached actually in, in the last uh, three years, let's say green and yellow belt, all leveraged their standard work, the process they had documented and quickly revised them for the COVID procedures. And uh, a lot of them called me and, and I got feedback saying, had they not had done that documentation, they would have been starting from zero. And the fact that they had this there allowed them for adapting. And so really, you know, all, lean is really about continuous improvement. And all COVID really is in that framework was a challenge, a change in the external environment that forced fast continuous improvement. And so people that have been practiced lean were equipped and ready to be agile and adjust. And th those are the some of the, the circumstances that we saw. It was really neat. That's really interesting. It's fantastic to think that it may have had some benefits for some people, you know? Yeah, I was gonna, it actually did. I had, um, a, I've had a couple of um, clients say it actually benefited them in that it, lean didn't become an option that they 
had to do, she had to change something. So for example, there were a couple of um, folks I've been working with last year that came up with some excellent ideas for change, but they did involve some complications in the change and they actually involved, they needed to um, automate them, then leverage technology. And of course, now you're into spending dollars and you got to watch budget, etc. Well, when COVID came, that made the decision quite easy for organizations to decide where are we going to spend the money. Um, and they needed to spend it, they a lot of these um, processes that they wanted to kind of um, automate, or for example, um, an accounts payable process, do we really have to write the checks? Or can we do an electronic funds transfer? Well, that was going to be a pilot this year. Um, for some people that maybe wanted to try electronic funds transfer. And what it ended up being is because of COVID, everybody just went to electronics was transfer overnight. And so the people that had been working on that project were so excited because COVID actually paved this road for them, which they were really dancing around some politics and trying to get the opportunity to even try it. So that was kind of a neat idea. Well, here's hoping 2021 will remove a lot of those complications, but keep all of the good work that's been done in that space. So I guess on that note, having such a wide range of experience, both in the public and the private sector, and having worked with so many different types of organizations on so many different types of projects, what would your top three suggestions be to any company or local government who's looking to begin a continuous improvement program? So yeah, I really thought thought a little bit about this. So if I had to narrow, you know, the top 10 to the top three, my first would be educate, as you know, some of the other comments, um, getting the vernacular clear, helping make sure there's no misconceptions um, about what it means and what it means to that organization. So um, making sure that there is a level of education, understanding all levels of the organization, um, frontline, middle management and senior levels. Everybody has a role in a lean organization. It doesn't just happen to one group and not the other. And it everybody has to adjust how they work. So making sure that there's a good um, education and communication platform to support. Um, we tend to call it build the capability, the, re the capability that you need. And that doesn't just mean belts, right? That means um, lean leadership. That means understanding, you know, um, frontline operations. That means a, a lot of different things to, to people, but making sure that that is anchored and established there is key. The second would be, um, there's lots of different types of lean activities that can be happening. And we, we tend to use the terminology lean projects, right? Uh, change or improvement initiatives, whatever language your organization adopts. But you really should have a mix of different types. They come in all shapes and sizes. And some organizations get very excited about lean and just want to go big, really big. And the really big ones are, they're great. They take longer to implement. There, it's heavy lifting before you see a result. So, so those a lot of organizations want to do that work. They often don't have the patience that go along with it and can create some frustration. So I'm always a fan of having a mix. Do some of those quick wins as, as we discussed. It's some very small improvements that can be done at an individual level. It's very, very empowering. It gets some capacity into the organization that then you can in, reinvest that capacity on the larger projects and um, have a mix of, there's some people that might um, 
kind of be lean specialists. Maybe they spend 20% of their time on these things. Um, and then there's other people that it, they, they just kind of spend uh, an hour a week, <laughs> you know? So you want a mix of these small, medium, large type initiatives, and you want to, um, think through what they are, have those first set, I'd say in the first 12 months, check, um, we want them to be successful. So we want to pick things that we know are going to create some momentum um, and, and have a high likelihood of success in with who's involved with them and the kind of changes that would be happening. And the third, and I think the most important is you have to make it your own. You can't just copy somebody else's framework. Uh, not at all. But you can learn. Um, there's so many best practices in lean. Lean itself is a term that's about a best practice from Toyota. Lean is the best practice of the Toyota production system. So I always say to people, like, let the next book be about you. So there's some fundamental principles there. Just like Toyota went to, you know, lectures on quality improvement, took certain principles, made it their own. That's what other organizations need to do. You got to integrate it into your own culture, whatever your own values are, whatever your community's, you know, needs are, your strategic direction, you know. So I'm always, we, we got to make it yours. And that's why you need to have that baseline education so you know how to make it yours. And those to me are, are the three things. That way it's going to be sustainable. Leading Edge Group provides lean training and consulting support for local government organisations to establish a continuous improvement culture and enable increased customer employee satisfaction, enhanced quality of service and cost savings and avoidance, amongst other improvements. Visit leadingedgegroup.com to learn more about our services. This podcast was produced by Clodagh McCarthy for the Leading Edge Group.